Well, um, I'm glad to be back here at Jewel Lake Parish. It was an interesting experiment. There were things I liked about it, and there were things I didn't like. It made me uncomfortable because I never knew much about the church I was going to be preaching in. It was I was always walking into something, and uh, I didn't know their the the choreography of their worship service. You know who does what when things like that. Um, I didn't know I was in one church. I was supposed to make a bunch of announcements, and so I'm reading this, and you know George is going to be doing this, and it's like I have no idea who George is. So 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 all in all, it was it was an interesting experiment, and um, it made me a little bit uncomfortable. I imagine it made you uncomfortable too, because you never knew. Who was going to be? I mean, you're, you might have known the name, but you probably didn't have a good knowledge of the people who preached while I was gone. So um, uh, that's okay. Uh, Lent is supposed to make us uncomfortable. Uh, Lent is is the season of discomfort, and the reason for that is Lent reminds us that we are sinful. I think a lot of the time we try to focus our when we think about sin at all, which you know most of us do as little as possible. But when we think about sin, we tend to think about sins. Specific sinful acts. I shouldn't have done that, or yeah, I should have done this other thing. You know, th- there was something I needed to do and I didn't. We tend to th- we tend to focus on sinful actions, the the specific things we do um, uh, that are sins. But Lent is a great time to remember that those sins came from somewhere. That that the sins are actually what happens because we are sinful creatures. And that's a very uncomfortable thought to to uh, wrestle with. It's easier to say, well, yeah, the reason I did that was because I was really tired or because I had a bad day at work or, you know, it's easy to do that when we say, when we say we've got an excuse, right? I did this one thing. But to say, no, this is actually who I am. I am a sinful creature. I am a sinner. And we, we really struggle with that idea. So, I mean, even if we don't disagree with it, we we hardly embrace it. So Lent is Lent is a time when we think about sinfulness, but we also look forward to to uh, the the events of the Passion and the Resurrection because we remember that God has a has a remedy for our um, for our sinfulness. That we're not just saying, you know, I'm a terrible person and that's all there is to it. It's like I I am a sinner, but I have a Savior. So. We look forward to that as well. So, so um, what I want to do is we think about that situation, the the Linton problem of being not just people who committed some sinful actions, but actually sinners, sinful people. Um, I want to uh, I want to look at um, the passage of scripture because I think it'll help show us some of some of the things that that we can. Um, Learn about our own situation. So, so sin is the presenting problem. If you've been to the uh, the the doctor's office or you used to watch House back when it was on TV, you show up with one symptom, but the real problem is somewhere deep down. And so that's that's our problem: is that the sins are the presenting problem, and the underlying problem is sinfulness. So, we're going to look at this passage of uh, Luke's biography of Jesus. Um, <clears throat> Uh, and it says Jesus came to Jericho. So uh, Jesus came to Jericho. Uh, we we looked at this passage um, or this this section of Luke's uh, biography a lot last fall. And what has been going on is Jesus has been headed from Galilee in the north uh, down toward Jerusalem. So uh, we looked at that for several weeks last fall. 
And this is, uh, Jesus is getting close now. So uh, he will arrive next week, and that's what we'll talk about um, for uh, Palm Sunday and then during during um, Holy Week, we'll be looking at the way, what it was that Jesus did during during the time he was in Jerusalem. But he's not quite there yet. He's close, but he's not there yet. So Jesus has come to, to Jericho, and a certain blind man was sitting beside the road begging. So um, this this wouldn't have been uncommon. If you're a blind person in that culture, there's really nothing you can do to, to uh, live except for take alms from people. The, the Jewish religion put a high premium on giving alms, and so you, your your real challenge was to make sure people saw you because then they would feel an obligation to uh, to give alms if they could. And so he stationed himself outside of town in a place where he'd be visible, and uh, he's sitting there beside the road begging. And he hears the crowd, the crowd, the crowd that is coming along with Jesus. Now, we don't know much about this crowd we know Jesus has been doing miracles and teaching people and doing some some things that have gotten people's attention um, since he left Galilee. So some of these people may have joined him along the way. Some of them obviously came with him from, from Galilee. But there's also probably just a mix of people who are pilgrims headed to Jerusalem themselves for the the festival that's coming up. So there is a crowd, but the, the blind man hears them, and as he would probably do dozens of times a day, he would ask someone, what's going on? Tell me what it is that's happening right now. And they said, they told him, Jesus the Nazarene is passing by. So that is a reminder, Jesus is not in his home element. Now they're pointing out Jesus from a faraway town, not just you know any Jesus you happen to know, but this Jesus who's traveling here. So Jesus is passing by, and the blind man Somehow, and we're not told how, the blind man somehow puts the pieces together and says, oh, that's that's Jesus who is the Messiah. Now, uh, not many people have made that connection. Peter did famously, and Jesus said that that it wasn't Peter who did that, but but that the Holy Spirit had, had led him to that insight. But somehow or another, the blind man is able to understand that this Jesus is the son of David. The son of David is the king that God promised to send to sit in the throne of his ancestor David. So he he says, Jesus, you're the king. Show me mercy. So what was he looking for? What kind of mercy was he looking for? We have no idea. Maybe he wanted, you know, a new cane. Maybe he wanted a, a greater amount of alms. Maybe he wanted to be healed. We don't know really what his what his desires are when he calls out for Jesus to help him. And I'm missing a slide, so I will read it from the book. So um, those leading the procession scolded him, telling him to be quiet, but he shouted even louder, Son of, Je- Son of David, show me mercy. So Jesus... Um, Jesus uh, uh, Jesus is not on the scene yet. I keep running ahead. So, so uh, those leading the procession, the leaders of the procession, we don't know who those are. One of the possibilities is it was the disciples. That you know, the the disciples we read about are the ones telling this guy to shut up. And and we can understand why, right? You're in a happy mood. It's a party. Jesus, he's about to get to uh, Jerusalem. He's going to conquer the Romans, and everything's going to be wonderful. And here is this buzzkill sitting here asking for mercy right so we could say shut up you know you're really you're really 
um, spoiling the mood here. You know, don't bring us down right now. We're we're in a happy party party mood, and uh, so that that would maybe dissuade some people. But this guy says no. He, he yells even louder. So, Son of David, show me mercy. And Jesus stops. So Jesus stops and calls for the man to be brought to him. And when he was present, he uh, he Jesus asked, "What do you want me to do for you?" And that is a great question. That is a great question. You know, it's, it would seem to be obvious, but, but, you know, we don't know. Maybe this guy, all he wanted was a new cane. You know, we don't know what he wanted. And Jesus almost certainly does know, but, um, he wants to hear it from the man. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, Lord, I want to see. Jesus says to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And at once he was able to see and he began to follow Jesus praising God. And when all the people saw it, they praised God too. So this is, um, it, it probably sounds like a lot of the other healing miracles that take place in the Bible. I mean, there's some things that are different, but it, it has the general idea. Somebody is in trouble. Jesus arrives in the scene and Jesus heals them, whether it's a woman who's been bent over with some kind of a disease or uh, a man with a withered hand or whatever it is. The, the healing miracles um all kind of follow a, a pattern, and we're, we're used to reading about them or, or hearing them. That th- th- there are, you know, times in the Bible when Jesus is talking, and there's times when he's healing, and this is one of those times when he's healing. Um, but, but it's a particular kind of healing, and it's one we see a lot in the Bible. It's it's recovery of sight, and we can imagine how important that would have been to someone in that age uh, that they can limp. But if they can't see, that would have been a much more serious problem for them to deal with in that time. And Jesus seems to have have uh, seen his own ministry in particular as being about recovery of sight. He says he says when he begins his ministry in um, in uh, Nazareth, he says he quotes the prophet Isaiah. He says, "He God has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim re- release to the prisoners, and recovery of sight to the blind." And then later on, when John's uh, John the Baptist's uh, disciples come to Jesus and say, "You're not acting like we expected you to act. We had our mental image of what the Messiah would be like, and you're not that guy. We don't think so. Tell us, are you the Messiah?" And Jesus says, "Go and report to John what you've seen and heard. Those who were blind are able to see, and those who were crippled now walk." So for Jesus, that particular that particular type of healing seems to have been a very important um, part of his ministry, that he saw it as emblematic of everything he was doing. So so Jesus uh, was a healer of blindness, among his many other things. But, but if we remember that every miracle is a sign, you know, in, in the uh, biography that John wrote, he never calls them miracles. He calls them signs because the idea is that it is, it is pointing to what God is doing, that, that it is in miniature a picture of the big thing that God is doing. In the same way that a parable takes something true about God and, and illustrates it with a, with a little story or something like that that we can get our heads wrapped around. That's the same idea. A miracle is an acted out parable. It, it's, it's, I mean, it's helping this guy's eyes, but, um, but it also is illustrating the big idea of what it is that God is doing. So miracles are signs. 
And the reason that Jesus is, uh, sees so much of his ministry about um, healing the blind is because we have spiritual blindness. What do I mean by that? The, the idea of spiritual blindness is why do we sin? Right? I, I talked uh, earlier, I said, I said the problem is not just that we commit a sin. The problem is something about us makes us sin. Something about us makes us uh, desire to sin. And the reason for that, um, or hard to, makes us, makes it hard for us to resist sin, as the case may be. So, so the reason for that is that we don't see God. We don't see God properly. We think of God, um, either as, as a, uh, judge who's waiting to throw the book at us, or we see him as some kind of a tyrant who's taking away all of our fun. We see this in the story of the lost son. The, the lost son goes off to a faraway country. He loses his money, feeds the pigs, uh, and uh, then comes home and his father welcomes him. He comes to his senses. He, he is now able to understand his father in a way that he had not been able to. But the older son didn't have that transformation. He is still not properly seeing his father. He says to his father, the older son says, look, I've been slaving many years for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders, your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. I don't want to celebrate with you. I want to celebrate with my friends. You're not my friend. So he's had this same distorted picture of his father that the the younger son had. He just didn't ask for his money. He's equally blind. He and maybe blind's too strong a word. Maybe a better word would be you know we're vision impaired. You know we need a correction. But whatever it is, there's something that keeps us from seeing God properly. We see God as that harsh judge or that that um, that killjoy, the person who wants to take away all of our fun. But Jesus enables us to see God properly. As I mentioned to the young people, the Son is the image. He's the icon of the invisible God, the one who's first over all creation. That Jesus enables us to see God properly. Jesus gives us a, a vision correction so that we can now understand God. And I want to talk about two things that this passage shows us about God. It shows us um, about God's attitude toward us. So Jesus illustrates what God thinks about us. We see this because because the 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 blind man is sitting there on the side of the the road, and the the crowd couldn't care less. It's like shut up, you're you're spoiling the mood. Um, let us have our party. And Jesus is the one who hears him and calls him uh, to be brought to him. So so Jesus shows that he loves even the people who are literally marginalized. This man is sitting on the edge of the crowd, sitting on the edge of the town. He is he is as marginalized as somebody can get. And Jesus loves even the most marginalized people. Jesus loves people who don't have anybody else to love him. So Jesus is showing us that God loves us. God loves us no matter what our circumstances are. And um, not so much in this passage, but later on um, next week, we'll remember that Jesus showed how deep God's love is. Not simply that God loves everyone. It's not just wide, but also deep. Um, John tells us about the the um, when Jesus was arrested. It says he, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Ultimately, Jesus goes to the cross to show us that there is no end to God's love. So Jesus shows us what God's attitude is toward us, but he also shows us what God is doing. 
that he shows us the the attitude but also the activity of God so the the signs that we we see those are those are pointers to the big thing that God is doing Paul writes in his letter to the Romans he says the creation itself will be set free from slavery to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of God's children everything that is wrong with this world you know we we prayed about tornadoes right everything that is wrong with this world will be redeemed and restored to God's intention for it. So the creation itself will be set free from slavery. But we're part of creation, that God will make us into what we are supposed to be. God will will take what we are and remake us so that we conform to the likeness of his Son. So by looking at Jesus, we can see what God is doing. He is making the world better. He is He is uh, healing the places where it is hurting, but he's also restoring it to God's intention. So Jesus is showing us God's attitude and his activity. So what do we do with this? Jesus shows us what God is really like. Jesus corrects our vision. Jesus gives us a new set of lenses. What do we do with that? Now that we we can see what Jesus is is showing us, what do we do with that? Well, I think there's two things, and we see them right in this passage. There's two things we can do. The first one is to hear the question that Jesus asks, not as going to a blind man some time ago, but as going to yourself. Hear the question, what do you want me to do for you? As coming from Jesus to you. And then figure out what your answer is. What is it you want? This is Jesus. He can give you whatever you want. So ask yourself, what is it I do want? Spend some time on that. Think through what it is that you want. And when when he gives it to you, then praise him as, as the blind man does. So think through, what, what would I ask Jesus to do for me? That's what we can all do individually. But there's something in particular we can do as a, as a body of believers, as the, as the body of Christ in the world. We can do something else. We can not be like the leaders of this crowd. When we hear people asking Jesus for mercy, we can bring them to Jesus instead of telling them to shut up. This is really the challenge of the, the church. Jesus is, is saying, bring him to me. And that is our responsibility as a church to hear the people that Jesus has a heart for and bring them to him. So we can we can ask ourselves what it is that Jesus wants us to do or wants to do for us, and we can say, who else does Jesus want to heal? And how can I bring them to Jesus? That is our responsibility as a church, and it is our opportunity as believers. Let's pray. Jesus, um, even with the the stories we love and the stories that um, we rehearse over and over again in the Bible, um, we we don't see you as well as we would like to. So we pray you'd help us to see you at work um, in the world through your Holy Spirit and to let that speak to us as we reflect on what we're taught in the Scriptures. Help us, Lord to have a clear vision of God so that we can truly be 
like the younger son, that we can come to our senses, no longer see God as a slave driver or someone who is no long, who is not our friend. Help us to be people who see God properly and help us as a congregation to bring people to Jesus who are calling for his mercy. We ask these things through Christ's name.